Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. How do I find a good business for sale? Yeah, they're all over. So the biggest way to find deals is to network. So who do you know? And build relationships. I don't know anybody. Of course you do. And build relationships with what I call deal intermediaries. So Dealer intermediaries. It, yeah, so network with CPAs, tax advisors, network with wealth managers, uh, small business attorneys, even banks and financiers, because they're all in the mix. They all know businesses that potentially offer sale. Most people um, that want to sell a business will talk to those individuals before they will go down the route of, say, listing with a business broker. Only about 20% of businesses that sell get listed through a broker. Most deals get passed through like friends or friends network. of friends. Yeah. But let's say I'm again, let's say I'm 20 years old or 33 years old. I want to change. Uh, I probably have an accountant doing my taxes. You say network, but I might, I really didn't have a network at the age of 28. Maybe, maybe I had an accountant doing my taxes, although I probably didn't knowing me, but uh, call my accountant and say, Hey, I might have some interest. I might have some opportunity. I might have some wherewithal. Do you have any clients with what you consider a decent business yeah. for sale? And it's his to his incentive to help me find a good one. Absolutely. Because he'll work for you and help you. So excited about this podcast because it's about a topic I've been thinking about for 20 years, which is... And I'll, I'll introduce the guest in a second, but I've always had this fascination. What if I could just buy a bunch of laundromats? I remember when I was working a nine to five jobs, sitting in my cubicle, which was just awful. Like you have to be friends with all the people in the cubicles around you. They're not, they're not your real friends, they're not going to your funeral or anything. And then you have to share the bathroom with them. I just didn't want, I just didn't like working that job. And I always thought to myself, what if I could buy a laundromat, which sounds odd? Or what if I could buy a check cashing place or even a furniture store or something, like a real place that wasn't just ones and zeros, but a real place. And then what if I could buy two of them or three of them and 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 you know save on the, the back-end accounting costs because I own more than one, and then I own a whole bunch, and then I sell that for a lot of money. And then I was just always thinking, oh, but it's I can't do that. I'm just a lowly programmer or whatever. How would I, I have no money in the bank. How would I raise the money? So I was talking to this friend of mine, Carl Allen runs a, a 
private equity firm, buys and sells companies like like they're nothing. And um, he was telling me, well, you can do this now. You could be an individual with with little to no money, not working a nine to five job. You could, it's, it's not, there's so many opportunities now to basically buy a business, use that to buy the second business, use those two to buy the third and the fourth. Here's the ways you save money, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, Carl, you have to come on the podcast. He's not Suzanne Summers, but that's okay. And uh, uh, welcome, welcome aboard, Carl. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Carl, I love your accent. And, Thank you. and so you have a private equity firm that's already doing this for yourself. You Absolutely. buy companies, bricks and mortar companies. Yep. And I'm sorry, I'm not giving you any chance to speak, but I've had my first experience with this. I bought a kind of a bar slash comedy club a, for a few years ago. It's it's difficult to run, okay? that might, I bought it for other reasons than financial, but it's difficult to run a bricks and mortar business. I kind of like the idea of some of these businesses that are more cookie cutter. And I know I don't want to um, degrade laundromats, but I always think laundromats is a little bit more cookie cutter than a restaurant where you have to figure out how to get people in off the street and love the food and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, what, 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 do, you, what do you do first? So I do two things. So I'm buying businesses all the time. Uh, there's a massive opportunity in the United States right now. There's, there's over 2 million small businesses for sale. Only one in 11 are actually going to close deals in the next 12 months. What do you mean close deals? So only one in 11 will sell. And let me ask you this. There's 2 million businesses... Here's some bullshit that I think people always say, which is that 90% of businesses fail. I don't believe that. I think that's true for 90% of businesses that raise money in Silicon Valley. They fail because the venture capitalists are put, pushing the accelerator to try to make a trillion dollar company in three yeah. weeks. But if you start a laundromat, in a, or if, we'll, we'll get to buying versus starting in a second, but if you have a laundromat in a good location, What's the basic odds of the basic bricks and mortar, simple business that everyone uses? People are going to dress every day for the rest of eternity. What, what, what's, what's the odds that a basic business is going to fail? I think something like that, it's the, the odds of it failing are going to be quite low. But if you look at a high-tech business or a medical business or anything in financial technology, the risks are obviously a lot higher. But I think these brick and mortar, these everyday businesses, like the, the 7-Eleven, the gas station, um, a car wash. The car wash, the, the check cashing place, the laundromat, the grocery store. Uh, in those local little neighborhoods, those are businesses that, you know, going to be around for a long time. Yeah, but this thing about car washing, uh, the, I mean, now, I don't know, maybe automated cars will make things different, but they're still going to, those cars are still going to need to be clean. But, you know, you, you put a car wash right next to the, the, the tunnel or the bridge, so those cars get into the city or they're going back home and... They got to wash the car. It's dirty here. Yeah. And it just never goes away. Again, a laundromat. People are always going to need to clean their clothes and they're busy. So they go to the laundromat. Uh, uh, what are what are some other of these types of businesses? So I love the idea of these automatic businesses that you talked about that need little to no, you know, kind of management. Because one of the things that I do when I'm buying a business is I own nine businesses today. I don't work in any of them. I've got GMs or employees in those businesses running them for me because I'm more of an owner not an operator. So I don't want to go in there every day and be rolling up my sleeves. And people that I teach and I coach to do this, they're buying businesses to go in and run them if they want, but you don't have to. So it's a bit like a side hustle that you can buy a business. It's so enough cash flow. You don't have to be there every day. You can just benefit from the business ownership. And I want to figure out how to 
buy a business and a how to value a business and how to buy a business as cheaply as possible and also how to buy a business if you don't have a lot of money. Yeah. But and and by the way, I'm not I'm not saying people should do this. I'm not promoting it. This is what I wanted to do yeah. forever. And heck, I still might do it. I just love the idea of this. But uh what's what's better? Starting and I'm gonna just you put a laundromat in quotes. The laundromat means one of these kind of simple bricks and mortar semi-automated businesses that are in every city on the entire planet. Yeah. So, but laundromat quotes, because it represents a lot of kinds of businesses. But is it better for me to start a laundromat or spend money no. buying a laundromat where I'm risking some money? Absolutely. Never start, always buy. Never start. Never start, always buy. Because it's going to take you a whole bunch of time to find a place, fit it out. It's going to cost you a lot more money in terms of that startup cost versus if you can buy a business, and I know you can, without investing your own money, you're instantly getting a business that's generating cash flow. And my, my analogy is like a Tesla or any car. Most people buy and own cars. So if you wanted to own a Tesla, would you go and buy all the parts, you know, the glass, the wheels, the, the, the battery, the big iPad in the center, the steering wheel, and would you go and assemble it all on your driveway and think, Right, how do I build this sucker? You know, how do I connect all this stuff together? I've paid for all the parts. How does it work? Or do you drive, do you, do you go down to the dealership and you buy one that someone else has built and you finance it through Tesla? I, I, I love this analogy. First off, if I was going to buy a Tesla, I'd first have to get a driver's license, which the state of New York currently won't allow me to do. But uh, I love the analogy because what you're basically saying is let's say I wanted to start a laundromat. Do I? I don't know anything. I don't know what the best machines to buy are. I don't know if, you know, I don't know what I need to, to get enough water in there, enough power in there. Uh, uh, and, and I don't know the right location for laundromats. But if I, if I go down the street and I see a laundromat and if I'm able to look at their financials and I yeah. see, oh, this business is going up, it's not falling apart. Why wouldn't you buy that business versus starting right. your own? It's as if I outsourced just like you outsource the development of a car to the car manufacturer, it's as if I've outsourced somebody smarter than me picking the location, and we know location, location, location for bricks yeah. and mortar business. I've outsourced someone smarter than me buying all the equipment. I've outsourced someone smarter than me setting up all the initial marketing, the launch, the advertising, and keeping the customers happy. And yeah. I'm just buying this infrastructure for them. Why would they want to sell to me? So lots of different reasons. People want to retire they get sick. Some people, they die in some cases and not just them, their family members. They get bored. They get frustrated. 19.9 .9 million baby boomers own businesses in the United States. It's unbelievable. It's 66% of the entire small and medium business population. And 10,000 of them are retiring every single day. Well, it's, it's, I was doing some research about Andrew Yang, actually. And Andrew Yang had mentioned that something like 95 million people have dropped out of the workforce in the past 15 years. And that... Wow. But but that rung true to me in a way that he didn't explain, which is that uh, that corresponds with the first baby boomers hitting the age of 65 yeah. or, or, or 60. So, so, and then I looked it up and about half of those people who have withdrawn from the workforce were in fact baby boomers retiring. Yeah. And uh, so, so... I think about this because um, it's a similar thing in, in real estate. If uh, you say you want to buy a house from someone where maybe the person living there just died, so the family wants to get rid of it quick, yep. or there's a divorce, so they don't know how to divide up a laundromat, so yep. they, they have to sell it, or 
disease, they no longer are able to uh, have the energy to keep going to the business, yep. or debt. They somehow or other they got into too much debt somehow, yep. and they need to sell the business. You added a, a a fifth one, which I don't know how to put a D to it, but retirement. Yeah, and it's <laughs> all about impending death. Yeah, so, and it's all about understanding what I call seller psychology. So what we're looking for really is a what I call a distressed seller of a good business. Not the other way around. You know, if you go to VizBuySell or some of the online broker websites, you find lots of uh, good sellers of distressed businesses. You don't want to buy those. Wait, you want you want to? I mean, just a basic thing is when you're buying a business, you're obviously at some point in the due diligence going to see their financials. Yeah, you kind of want to see three years worth of financials, yep. month by month, and then see that the business has been going up in both revenues yep. and cash flow revenues per product sold yep. and maybe unique customers. Yeah. So absolutely. You 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 want a good business that's uh that's got revenues and revenue growth, it's generating cash flow and it's got a healthy balance sheet. And then it's all about it's not really about the numbers. Small deals are 10% numbers and 90% psychology. Back 20 years ago when I worked just down the street for a Wall Street investment bank, the deals that I used to get involved with were 90% numbers and 10% psychology. But when you look at the small business owner, it's really understanding you know, what's motivating them. And one of the most common things that we see, and I see this 10 times a day with companies that I'm looking at, is the owner of that business, they can't afford to retire just yet. They don't want to go into work anymore. They don't want to go in and run the business anymore, but they want to enjoy the cash flow that they're currently enjoying from that business. And that, the term for that is called seller financing. So you can buy a business from somebody, you're not giving them any money down, they're not necessarily interested in that, you're paying them a monthly income, you're basically splitting the profits of the business in the future with you as the owner. So wait, so let me try to understand. So, uh, and by the way, I wanna throw in, I, I, I don't think restaurants belong in your category. No. <laughs> because restaurants often mm. depend on the Rolodex of the owner to yeah. get in customers and, and media. And if you don't have that Rolodex and you don't have that pizzazz of the owner, you might not, it's, it's not as automated as and, and, no. and brand neutral as a car wash or a laundromat or a check cashing place or any of these, an, an arcade. Uh, well, I'm thinking of as a kid as an arcade but a shoes, whatever. So yeah. Restaurants um, are not one of my favorite types of businesses. I've actually never purchased and owned one, but unless you're a really good chef and you really know how a restaurant works, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't buy one. Unless, unless I've seen people do, uh, we talked about this earlier, I've seen people do like kind of, um, you know, buy Domino's franchises because that's as yeah. automated as a restaurant can be. Yeah. But um, oh, but let's again, I'm putting laundromat in quotes because there's there's a thousand businesses that fit this category, but that's the business that um, comes to mind. Uh, uh, so so someone owns it, and let's say someone works there, but it's not the owner. So the person who works there is getting minimum wage, a little bit of minimum wage, just to make sure nobody's getting into, no one's stealing a machine. No one's getting into fights. Everyone's got getting their basic needs taken care of. Yeah, and just keeping an eye on 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 things. Yep. And and then also, you know, I don't know what else, whatever else they do. And then there's an owner who basically takes the profits, which is the you know maintenance cost. He's already bought the machines, but it's the maintenance cost, it's the rent, it's the utilities, and it's the employment cost minus. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, minus the employment costs. And then that profit each year 
goes to that owner. That's right. Let's say he gets a hundred thousand a year from the laundromat. I'm making this up. I don't know what a, a laundromat owner expects or makes or whatever. In in the stock market world, you usually value things at twenty times profits, give or take. I mean, that's a totally yeah. rough number. We're just making that up. But that's like let's say your basic nuts and bolts company uh, sells the S and P five hundred itself sells for. 20 times earnings. So $100,000 a year profit laundromat might sell for 2 million. Is that correct or incorrect? No, 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 no. No. So the reason the stock market has got those types of earnings is because, and those P ratios, is there's a lot more liquidity in that market. Mm. And then obviously those businesses are huge. They've got systems, processes, management, all that different stuff. Um, The small business, the average multiple of earnings for a small business is just less than two. It was 1.94 what? in 2000. So $100,000 a year earning business, yep. like net income after, not revenues, maybe yep. the revenues were net a million, income but net income business is worth 100, around 200K. But that's, but I think about this in terms of, you know, risk reward and, and you always get back to the basic math of risk reward, which is that uh, a T bill, a treasury bill is the safest investment and returns 1% or 2% a year, whatever it is yep. right now. And, uh, you're telling me I can put $200,000 into an investment, pretend it's a treasury bill for a second instead yep. of a laundromat, and you're telling me I can make 50% a year as opposed to 1% a year. You can make more than that because you wouldn't, if you were buying that business for a two times multiple for 200000 I wouldn't let you put $200,000 into that deal. I'd show you how to structure a deal where you might pay 50 down and you could even finance that from a bank and then you're paying the 150 over a number of years to that seller in deferred seller finance payments. Okay, so, so your ROI is a lot higher because your initial investment, it could be infinite. If you're not, the last deal that I closed, I didn't invest any of my own money. So my ROI on that deal is infinity in theory. Right, so so we're gonna, we're gonna get to that. So- And that's so, a leverage buyout. So I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my cubicle. Let's say I'm 28 years old yep. and I'm like, ugh, get me out of here. Uh, whatever. Uh, by the way, not that all jobs are bad. I'm not, it's just for some people they are, some people they aren't. But this, what I like about this is because it's not just, I'm going to buy a laundromat and then go on the golf course and do nothing. If you do it once, you could do it twice. You could do it three times. You combine things, you get, it's the classic, what's called a roll up. You can, you combine the back office costs, you like do. the cost of accounting. You get you get price leverage on yep. uh, uh, equipment, and then you could sell it for potentially a much higher multiple. You could grow earnings and you could sell it for a higher multiple when it's bigger yeah. to a larger company that's already in the business in a much bigger way. But how do I find a good business for sale? Yeah, they're all over. So the biggest way to find deals is to network. So who do you know and build relationships? I don't know anybody. Of course you do. And build, build relationships with what I call deal intermediaries. So Dealer intermediaries. It, yeah, so network with CPAs, tax advisors, network with wealth managers, uh, small business attorneys, even banks and financiers, because they're all in the mix. They all know businesses that potentially offer sale. Most people um, that want to sell a business will talk to those individuals before they will go down the route of, say, listing with a business broker. Only about 20% of businesses that sell get listed through a broker. Most deals get passed through. Like friends or friends of friends. Yeah. By the way, that's the same way. You know, that's the same way how most jobs are found. So most jobs are found not by uh, applying on 
a site, although many millions of jobs are found that way, but often if, if, if I were to be unemployed, it's not your friends who find you, um, the, the next job, but the friends of friends tend to statistically yeah. find you the next job. So, so it sounds like it's kind of similar, but let's say I'm again, let's say I'm 20 years old or 33 years old. I want to change. Uh, I probably have an accountant doing my taxes. You say network, but I might, I really didn't have a network at the age of 28. Maybe, maybe I had an accountant doing my taxes, although I probably didn't knowing me, but, uh, call my accountant and say, Hey, I might have some interest. I might have some opportunity. I might have some wherewithal. Do you have any clients with what you consider a decent business yeah. for sale? And it's his his incentive to help me find a good one. Absolutely, because he'll work for you and help you. And he's also helping his client who might That's have right. a good business. And he and I can ask, does he have one of these four Ds? Or, you know, or yeah. I have, does he have a real? Is it a good business? Do he have a good psychological reason to sell that makes sense as opposed to a distressed business? But okay, so I call my accountant and he. Or that's one networking. What do I get? Like five accounts? How do I network a little bit more? Yeah, speak to banks, speak to attorneys, wealth managers are a but phenomenal. Why would, how, why would they? I'm 28 years old. Why would they? I mean, I'm pretending to be, but why, why would because they talk to me? Because you're in the market to buy a company. So you have to come across as trustworthy, obviously incredible. Try and buy a business in a sector that you're passionate about or you know it and you understand it. And that translates. The wealth manager, they're in the business of investing their clients' money. So maybe not with a laundromat, but if you're buying a $3 million engineering company or you're buying a transport business or a construction company and that business owner who's looking to retire or leave is going to generate, you know, seven figures when they sell the business, um, the wealth manager's highly motivated to want to invest that money because that's how they make right, money Right, so he wants the, the client to sell because the client gets allocated to well. But my first time out, 28 years old, probably not going to buy a seven-figure business, but maybe I can make an appointment at the local bank, you know, on the corner, the Chase Bank, go to the private client section and say, hey, yeah, can I have an appointment? Can I talk to you for a few minutes? Um, this is something I'm interested in. Do you know of anybody who can help me? Maybe something like that. I'm yeah. just trying to work through in my mind how I would have done it back yeah. in the day. So my advice is just network. You know, be be a power networker. Talk to as many people as you can. Leverage the power of of social media. You know, post on LinkedIn or on Facebook. You know, who do you know? Just broadcasting on LinkedIn. Oh uh, yeah. Um, you know, you're looking to to buy and own a company. Uh, here's my specific requirements. I want to buy a web design firm in Chicago. Don't do but, that. I ran a web design firm. <laughs> so did awful. I. Yeah, so did I. Uh, bad example. So just leveraging the power of social media. When I started in this business, gosh, 27 and a half years ago, uh, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have Google. Um, yeah, there were business brokers and corporate finance firms that you would connect with. But all the best deals I've ever done and all the best deals that my hundreds of students have ever done have come through networking. It's who you know. Because it's it, a people business. It's a relationship business that we're in. Businesses are sold between in most cases in our market, the one to 10 million range, or maybe a bit less, you know, one individual to another individual. Well, it's interesting. I just had a podcast about the power of asking your network. And I totally forgot because I was putting myself too much in the mind of when I was 28. But in social media, on Facebook and in LinkedIn, there are many groups of you can join with small business owners. And you can, if you spend a few weeks or months 
engaging in conversations, providing value. People yep. know who you are. And then suddenly you say, hey, I have an ask. This is a great place to ask for help. And people are happy to help. They're helping you and it's the same thing. They're helping the other people. So, okay, let's say I've got my mind on a, a particular laundromat and I'm doing all the basic due diligence and it seems like a good business. Uh, we don't have to go about, this doesn't have to be an episode about due diligence, but there's basic aspects of due diligence. Yeah. And, but you see, okay, their business is improving or it's at least plateauing. It's not going down. So that means the location's pretty good. means the equipment's pretty good. It means they're not losing any brand value. Um, they're making, they've made a solid 200,000 a year income. After all costs, the owner has taken 200,000 out. He doesn't work there. So it's not salary. It's just 200,000 profit. And uh, uh, now for whatever reason, and you, you determine it's a good reason, he or she wants to sell. What's my next step? So the first thing is to really identify what's the seller motivation. You know, why do they want to sell? And what what does that mean? They, they want to move to California from yeah, New York. Great. So the first thing I would establish is, you know, how much is the legacy of that business important to them? Because most of the sellers that I meet, probably about 80%, their legacy and the business that they've built and the safeguarding of their employees and their reputation in the marketplace is worth more than the physical money really? that they're receiving. And when people talk about money that's received, and we talked about valuations before, the valuation of a business is really that fine line, that dividing point between what someone's prepared to pay and sell it for. But also what's more important than the actual physical number is the structure of the deal. Like I said before that businesses are generally selling for around two times earnings at that kind of level. Um, would I pay three times earnings for a business if I could pay for it over five years? You know, absolutely. Because even if I don't grow the business, I'm still going to make money and still pay for the business over time. So it's all really drilling down as deep as you can into that, that core seller motivation. Like what are they really looking for? If they're looking to move to California and only one in 11, one in 12 businesses actually sell. The number one exit strategy for a small business owner in this country is to close the doors and turn off the lights. And when I'm negotiating with a small business owner and I make them an offer and a structure and they say, well, okay, you know what? I could probably get the same amount of money if I just close my business down and I liquidate my balance sheet. Well, not really. You mean like sell the machines? and? Yeah, so if you own a business and you've got a million dollars worth of assets and you've got $800,000 of liabilities, and you think, well, I'll sell all my assets and I'll pay off all my liabilities, I'm going to net 200K. You won't. You'll actually lose money because you won't get 100% on the dollar when you sell your assets, but you have to pay 100% on the dollar when you're settling your liabilities. So in a lot of cases for a small business owner, it's more expensive for them to shut the business down and walk away than just give you the business. Just say, there you go, take over the keys. I've got a lease on the property. I've got some payables. How do you convince them if they think that they could sell the assets for a million? You say, you know, probably not. Like, how do you, how do you convince them that? Talk, talk to your CPA. And mm -hmm. they'll, they'll tell you what your fire sale liquidation value is of those assets. But I'd ask a different question. I'd say, how important is it for you to retire and then seeing your business that you founded and you built and you've sweated blood building that business how important is it for you to see that business grow and continue to prosper? And in a lot of cases, it's like they're selling, like giving their children away. They want to see it thrive and survive. The number of sellers that I've met 
that care more about their name staying above the door than they do about the amount of money they're getting. It's crazy. It's all about pride. It's all about psychology. And a lot of it's about ego um, in a lot of ways. But but that's what's driving the small and medium business market. And the number of businesses that are going to try and change hands in the next 20 years is going to be staggering in this country. It's so, going to be and unbelievable. Of, and instead of trying to convince them of liquidation value or anything like that, it's, again, good business, distressed or motivated seller. It just might not be the deal you pursue. Right, but a good business, you want a good business with a motivated seller. So by the way, that was Adam Markley, who's partners with Carl in, the, in their private equity firm. Um, you want a good business with a motivated seller. So like maybe... There's a, again, like we just said, a divorce or he's moving or he's retiring or she or whatever. Yep. And, um, yeah, for every business where you've got someone who's not motivated because they think their assets are worth 10 times what they actually are, you just move on because there's a, there's far more business right. than people who are yeah. motivated, right? So it's, you have to be able to walk away from the negotiation. Always. Yeah. And it's a numbers game. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. 
Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there. You You might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I would never recommend you go and you look at one laundromat. Go and find 10. Go and have 10 conversations. And then two or three of those are going to be the people that are really super motivated and are going to want to do a favorable deal. And a favorable deal is you're buying that business without investing your own money. That's really the goal of what we're looking to do. And and that's you know that's what the guys do on Wall Street. I used to be one of them. Uh, they buy businesses and don't spend any of their own money. And we're just... You know, we've perfected that methodology for the small and medium businesses in this country. And it's not um, it's not about capitalism to a degree. It's, it's about there's a major problem in this country that you've over 2.2 million small businesses for sale today. Only one in 11 will sell 
But on the other side, 6.6 million Americans last year started a brand new company. And whether there's some debate in what percentage of those fail, is it 90%, is it 60%, or maybe somewhere in between. For me, I just think that's that's foolish when rather than reinventing the wheel, you can go and buy an existing business that existing someone business has built it's and a, it's, it's generating for cash years, flow maybe. from day one. But that's why you have to pay for it. I could start a business in some cases with zero dollars, yeah. but with this, I have to pay. So again, buy a let's say I'm a, I'm a secretary at Procter & Gamble. Um, I always pick um, Procter & Gamble. I'm sorry, I use Crest Toothpaste. I love you, but <laughs> um, be a sponsor of my podcast. But um, I love it too. <laughs> but I don't, you know, the average American doesn't have any savings or has little savings. What do I, what do I do? How do I, and I see laundromats for sale. The guy wants to retire. It's a good sure. business. Nothing's wrong. I've gone through the numbers. My account's gone through the numbers. Um, uh, I, let's say I negotiate and it's, there's a hundred thousand in profit, but, uh, or 200,000 profit. I could buy it for 600,000. Um, again, how do I negotiate so that it's nothing? I want to spend no yeah. money. So, the Sorry, just to jump in. The, the key to remember in all of this, and we're talking a ton of negotiations, is like in the small business market, sub 10 million in revenues, the buyers always have the leverage. I guess that's right because- Most sellers, the main option is to shut the doors and walk and away. Walk away. So you, as a buyer, you have the leverage, and if you remember that, it changes the entire framework. Okay, but given that I have the leverage, and given that most businesses are willing to walk away, can I wait until they walk away and then no. just, but just buy everything well, for well, pennies you can, on the dollar? But my advice to you would be: don't just go and look at one laundromat. Go and look at five, or go and look at ten, and have those conversations. And inside of that mix of business owners, there'll be one or two, or maybe even three that they're prepared to sell you that business and you can pay them over time. They don't need the money paid to them at closing. Because a laundromat is a kind of a weird example because there's not a lot of assets typically in that company. They uh, they might own the machines, but if they're really old, you probably can't finance them or they probably lease them, which I think is the more common thing to do. So that type of business is going to be asset light but cash flow rich. And whilst you can get a line of credit from the bank on the strength of that cash flow, uh, why would you do that if the owner is so motivated to sell and move to California or do whatever they want to do? Or a better example might pay be- Pay them over time. Since, since that owner can just go to California and still get the cash. Absolutely. So, so, so a better example might be if, there, if there's a divorce or a death in the family, the kids are just liquidating yeah. the business and you, and you find them, the accountant introduces you and you say, look, you're either going to close and you have nothing or I'm willing to- take this over and yeah. pay you out over time and and you get more you know than even if you had stayed running the business because I'm planning yeah. on growing it and yeah. blah blah blah. Yeah, there's something to be said for income versus, you know, capital because um if you did buy that business 100% money down and you use your own money, which I wouldn't advise you to do, um the sellers going to put that $200,000 probably going to put it in the bank. So what are they going to get? 1%, 2%? It's 0 0.5 in the UK. I not, can't remember what it is over here now. But uh, instead, you know, if you're paying them over time and maybe you're giving them a 5 or 10% interest coupon on that money, that's a really nice regular income. So right, so, so I could say, listen, um, 
I'm buying it today. Let's say it's a $200,000 profit yep. and I'm paying three times, which is for you an above average multiple. Ooh, yeah. So I'm paying 600,000, but it's in a sense, it's as if I am borrowing it from the owner yeah. and it has a 5% interest, which is yeah. again, bigger than the 2% they would get in the bank. So ultimately yep. 5% over three years, maybe I'm paying 660,000, you yep. know, for the total price yep. when you throw in the interest. So they, they wouldn't have gotten that with their money, but they're nope. gonna get the full amount within three years. This is a business is a safe business. They could do deal diligence on me and see yep. I'm competent. But yep. in any case, they have employees running the business. That's right. And there's other employees out there. Um, and so I say, okay, do I give the offer to give the money down? I mean, obviously that's the best, but what if I can't do that? Yeah, so if the business has got assets or it's got strong cash flows and you can leverage that through financing, then the more money that you can put down on a deal, the less you're going to pay over time. Do banks the, give lend money on that? Like banks like yeah. to give 30-year mortgages on houses because it's the same as the other 1,000 30-year mortgages they're giving. They bundle that up into a mortgage yeah. bond. Do they really like giving three-year loans to a 28-year-old for a laundromat? If they see value in you as a, as a potential business owner and you've got the chops to go in and tackle that industry, absolutely. But the more common type of financing is what we call asset-based financing, where more in a B2B type business, if it's got accounts receivable, if it's got fixed assets, if it's got inventory. So what are uh, those kinds of businesses? So like I keep a, putting laundromat in quotes, but what are some like other Like an engineering company or a manufacturing company or a PR firm or an advertising agency or a software company. If they've got, um, if they're a business to business, if they're selling to other businesses, they'll have outstanding invoices. And that's really the rocket fuel for leverage buyouts because that's the quickest, um, easiest, cheapest form of but, financing to buy a company. But a PR firm or an ad, ad agency it's that saying your assets walk out the door every night. So if if the owner leaves, that's not a... So a great example is like a construction company yeah. that's doing typically $500,000 jobs, right? You're, you're putting in the sidewalks in a new development or on city streets or something like that. You're bidding for a project, you're getting the project. That's a big job and you'll have substantial uh, assets there. You'll have accounts receivable. You'll have... The Me meaning the, meaning whatever building is being built, they owe me money. All the, uh -huh. uh, and then you've got equipment that you're actually doing and working with that has some value. Uh, but isn't the owner going to be the main sales guy for ongoing jobs? It depends on the company itself, right? So a lot of times uh, they're not. They've got a salesperson. Um, and if they don't, as part of the deal, you negotiate a transition hmm. period in which you bring in a sales guy who's trained by the owner and they're the ongoing sales guy. Or you could say the price goes down if people don't renew contracts or whatever. You can build all that stuff in, but it's interesting. One of the one of the common themes we see all the time is most businesses we look at in the kind of one to ten million range do little to no marketing. The, there's the two questions I ask every business owner. Number one, why are you selling? What's your motivation, which we've covered? And number two, what's your marketing strategy? How do you win new business? And they say, you know what, Carl, this is what's great about my business. We don't do any marketing. It's all repeat customers and word of mouth referrals. And I love those deals because as soon as we buy them, we can scale and we can put marketing into those businesses. Adam and I were acquiring a uh, an e-learning technology company in, uh, in Texas right now. And that business does 48 hours of marketing per year. 
and, and, and it does why? three million dollars a year because they're just selling to colleges the software and then just maintaining their one subscription conference, one conference a year for two days for two days and and who buys like colleges or high schools or uh, it's all uh, like fortune 1000 companies that are clients and, and so uh the opportunity there is if you're if you think crazy and outside the box what happens if you go from 48 hours to 96 you just double. <laughs> right. Or, or, what or, happens to your ability to win business? And they're probably selling subscriptions per seat. What if you just add a dollar a month to the subscriptions every year? Your, your earnings go up. Absolutely. You know, but the, the secret to that deal, and we talked about it before, it's the seller psychology. It's the owner psychology. Uh, the owner's early 60s, uh, made a lot of money, built a really good business, uh, but doesn't want to shoot for the moon, doesn't want to bet the ranch, you know, doesn't want to become the next billion dollar company. He He's can't sell with to his... a public e-learning company for 20 times. No, too mm. small. Mm. So if you're a public e-learning company, why would you buy, you know, if you're a billion dollar company, you're not going to buy a $3 million company. You're going to buy a two to $500 million company. It takes the same amount of time to do a $3 million deal than it does to do a $200 million deal. In fact, it's easier the bigger the actual transaction. So, um, so there's... There's a big role out there for people, and you talked about roll-ups to go in, and you know, no big corporate's going to buy up all these little individual businesses. It's for people like us to go out and scoop them all together, extract all those back office cost savings, and get them to a decent enough size where it then becomes attractive for a larger business. It's, it's like a, it's like the fish. You know, the small fish get eaten by the next size up of fish. The big sharks don't going to go and eat the tiny little fish. It's the same. So kind of the goal same is in the M&A world. The kind of the goal is long term for this 30-year-old secretary is buy that first business that has recurring revenue of some sort whether it's subscription based for software or uh bricks and mortar laundromat yeah. company and then use cash flows from that borrow from the bank buy the second business, buy the third business, yep. buy the fourth business and suddenly you're the bigger company that now the big fish could yep. play, pay. The bigger you are, it sounds like the higher the multiple. Yep. So then, that's right. And, and the bigger you are, the more profits you'll make because you get yep. the back office costs is, is combined and pricing leverage and you know better terms on you know you've nailed it leases. Yeah, and so then you can get the bigger multiple too. That's right. When you sell, so that's kind of a path to that's wealth. That's right. And let me tell you a really quick story about one of my students that did exactly that that I mentored. Um, he was an optician. And he wanted to buy the optical business that he was working in. So he did a leverage buyout, bought the business, paid the seller over time, and then got itchy feet and bought another one, then another one, then another one. Now he owns 73 of those businesses. And his model is phenomenal because if you look at, you can apply this to any business, but particularly like a, like a healthcare services business, like a, an optical uh, company, is that um, there's a lot of on-site one-off costs. You've got to pay for your accountant. You've got to pay uh, HR. You've got to pay IT. You've got to pay insurance. You're paying a certain price for frames. You're paying a certain price for lenses. When you own five of them or 10 of them, those costs go way down. So he can typically acquire a company doing, putting it into dollars, say a million dollars of revenue, making 100,000 a year within 12 months, He's probably doing 1.3 to 1.4 on the top line because he's putting marketing strategies in there. But his bottom line is going from 100 to say 4, 450 because he's pulling all of that one-off cost out into a back office 
And then when he's buying 10 times the number of eyeglass frames, he's obviously paying a lot less. Like the laundromat example, he's paying a lot less money for the supply of all those different materials. How, how did he buy that first business? 100% seller finance deal. So the guy was retiring. Yep. And he said, I'll, what did he pay for, for let's say he was doing 100,000. What, what did he pay? He was paying just under a three times multiple. This is a UK business. I think the multiples are a bit, uh, they're a little bit higher in the so UK. He was paying like 200, he paid 280,000 for like $100,000 yep. in income. How, did he put any money down? Nope. So he said, hey, I'll pay you over three years. Yep. Um, it's over four, I think. Let's say I'll pay you over four years. I'll give you 10% interest. Yep. So it's 280,000 plus the 10% interest each year. Yep. And, um, so whatever that turned out to be, the interest gets smaller and smaller as he pays it off. And then he's got the cash flow. He's still he's still making money because he was the op, he had a job. He was the optician in the first place. Right. He's still making his salary. And then he can use the profits to finance putting down money and getting bank financing That's on right. the second optical business. And now he's in business. Yep, it's a snowball and effect. How did he increase the marketing? So he just put social media in there, started running Facebook ads, started doing you know Google ads and other forms of that type of advertising. But the key, the absolute key to his strategy was that when he bought that optical business and all the other ones he's bought since, he's kept the original name of the company. And that's a massive USP for the retiring optician that probably founded that store in the 1970s, say, and he can walk past or drive past every day knowing that his business is thriving and he's now part of a larger group. So what what other, so optician business actually does seem like a great uh, business. I mean, my initial, my gut instinct was, oh, what if all the opticians leave, but then just hire new opticians. Absolutely. So, yeah, because yeah. I guess that's what he did when he bought, he wasn't at all the other 73 locations. Yeah. Um, there's already a general manager in place. Yeah. Uh, or if the owner leaves, you know, the owner obviously was taking a salary and you calculate profits after the owner's salary, but you put in a GM who makes yeah. less than the prior owner. Uh, so that's one way to increase profits. But uh, so there's laundromats, there's opticians. Chiropractors. Not, chiropractors. Gyms. Oh yeah, gyms is a good one. Is um, gyms are gyms dependent on brand? Gymnasiums? Yeah. Not really. I think they're dependent on location and obviously whatever services they provide to their the customer base. There's some massive roll-ups going on in the gymnasium sector. So one of my students in the UK, uh, he's bought, I think, four gyms. So and even with just four locations that you buy, there's still a lot of synergies that you can uh, that you can pull out of that type of deal. But again, um, a lot of these businesses do little to no marketing. So whatever business you buy, if you could put some marketing energy yeah. into that business, then or you're offer gonna, new services. Yeah, you're going to yeah. make money. So, yeah. like, uh, like, uh, are pawn shops good? Um, or I don't see why not. I've never acquired one. Mm -hmm. But another great uh, strategy is once you bought your first business, when you do a bolt-on acquisition, you can do roll-ups like we talked about. But let's say you go and buy a software company, and then you think, well, what do all of my customers consume that I don't provide? Okay, IT services. So if you buy an IT services company. You can then sell the software to those customers. You can sell their services to your customers. So you get this cross-selling of or, or, revenues. You're saving costs when you meld these two businesses together. So it's a one plus one equals three on the revenue side, and it's a one plus one equals five on the cash flow side. So that's a great way to make money. Yeah, or let's say you sell 
uh, an e-learning company to, or let's say you sell, let's say you buy an e-learning company that that has elementary schools as a customer. Yep. Right now you can buy a software company that, I don't know, keeps track of, you know, you know, all the kids' grades, you know, so parents can see like some kind of CRM yep. company and, and then just, yeah. you know, piggyback that on yeah. uh, to the customers. You can even the, buy a furniture company. And yeah, like selling all the furniture into yeah. the schools. Yeah. Or a chalk company. I don't think they have. It's 40 something years ago since I was at elementary school. So I don't know what they use now, but it was chalk when I was there. Yeah, I don't but, know what they use either. Yeah. And it's all about just looking at your, your business and your customer base and thinking, well, what else do they need? What else do they consume that I don't currently provide? And back to the car example, I'm not going to develop those products and services internally. I'll either go and partner with somebody else or why don't I go and buy a business that does that and then I can capture all of that margin and all of that value. I think I think there's a couple of critical things. One is is what you were saying about um, identifying businesses for sale. And I think that's, we talked about the basics, you know, use your network, use your account, but I'm sure there's a lot more details yeah. that we could, we could get into. It. Then there's, you know, valuing a company. How do you value a company in this industry? How do you value the assets they have? You know, you could use the CPA, but it's good to have some knowledge yourself. And then you you said too, what is the motivation of the seller? You have to be really careful because they're you have there's always a good reason and a real reason. Oh, I'm getting older, I want to retire. The real reason is oh, I'm not sure how car washes are gonna do when there's only one third of the cars on the road because of automation. Yeah. So so you have to be very careful there. Then there's the financing because um, it's everything from seller financing to back finance, bank yep. financing to maybe uh, there are firms that specialize in special financing that might have more, you know, higher interest rates and so yep. on, like venture debt financing yep. or even financing like your your firms. Yeah. Uh, then there's the negotiation techniques and and principles, like how do I know all the things to negotiate? Because you know sometimes you want to have a bigger list. Than the other person, so you can you can give you them more. the nickels while you take the dime. Absolutely. So, for instance, we'll keep your name up front. That might have a monetary value that you didn't realize. Yeah. Um, we're going to keep all your employees hired until they die. Whatever. Uh, that might have a value to them, so they feel loyal and so on. And and that's all part of it. But there's lots of details here. I feel like we kind of touched the surface. Yep. And and you mentioned you coach this optician to. Uh, by seventy three yep. places, presumably he could sell that for t ten million. You know, make ten million dollars profit on that or more compared to what he started with. Yeah. How did he? How did you coach him? Like, what do you? What's your? You have a a thing. What's your thing? Yeah. So I have a system uh, called the Dealmaker CEO. So it's a, it's a it's a ten step system. It's my twenty seven years of deal making. Why do you do that? Uh, why did I do that? Yeah. Wow. You you could just buy and sell businesses. Yeah. Yourself. Because. I was inundated with people asking me, nagging me to teach them how to do it. And I didn't have the time to go and speak in hotels. And I just thought it'd be really, really cool to kind of document all of my tips and tricks and my little ninja strategies and put them into a training program. And for me, what the real reason I did that is was to create deal flow. Uh, because ah, I would put smart. that out into the market. I would start partnering with students. They'd find a deal and think, well, okay, um, yep, I can buy the business, but if I partner with Carl and his team, maybe I can buy five or six, and then I can just become the deal finder, the deal originator. So you, so you have some kind of coaching 
programs, books, whatever. Uh, yeah. How, how can people find? How can people find them and get more? Like again, I feel like we got the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Uh, this is such an exciting area, I think, particularly in today's day and age, where yeah, you know, the corporate corporatism might be dying, but kind of these these smaller businesses that are expanding is 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 getting to be a bigger part of the economy. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was it's it's always been kind of exciting to do these types of businesses. But how can people find more? Would you have a where do where do they go? Yeah. So I think the the natural starting point for someone that's curious or interested or even extremely motivated to learn more about this is I've actually written a book, which is No Money Down, Business Buying Secrets. So I recommend- if Can I buy that on Amazon? Uh, no. So where do they go? How do they find you and all of the information we need here? If they go to carlsbook.com forward slash James, there's a 20% offer discount for your listeners, James. So if oh, they want my listeners are going to give yeah, a 20% discount. Absolutely. Are you sure? So Spreading the love. Carlsbook.com yeah. and it's a Carl with a C. Carl with a C. C-A-R-L-S-B. Slash James. Absolutely. You promise you'll give them a 20% discount? Absolutely promise. And what is it? Is it just, I, they could just buy your book on Amazon, right? Or, or no. what else is there? Nope, it's not available on Amazon. Um, if they buy the book, then I have an introductory training course called the Dealmaker Launchpad. Uh, there'll be a special offer for that as well through that link if they want to ascend to that. And then if they're really super interested and they've really got the motivation to go and do deals and have that way of life, then they can enroll into my signature program, which is called the Dealmaker CEO, which is my proprietary 10-step business buying implementation system that people can buy businesses without investing their own money or having to run those businesses inside of 99 days. And so carlsbook.com slash James, thank you for, uh, you didn't have to do that. Thank you for offering. You're welcome. 20% discount yeah. to my listeners. I'm I'm going to get it because I kind of want to buy a bunch of businesses Go now. Go for it. But um, uh, thank, will you come back on the podcast? I feel again, like there's a lot more to talk about. Anytime. But, uh, it's uh, my pleasure. Uh, and they can find you. And 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 again, thank you. I, uh, I, uh, listeners can get a, go to carlsbook.com slash James, all of your stuff, 20% discount. Um, I'm so glad you gave me this information. It's, it's, it's such a fascinating part of our economy. Like it makes everybody feel like their own, you know, entrepreneur, business owner, private equity fund. And, uh, I'm glad you have the, the information out there. Although even just from this podcast, I feel like I could go and do it. So just listen to this podcast or check out carlsbook.com slash James Carl Allen. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. on the podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, James. Thank you. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.